Hey, 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 welcome to the Wealth and Business Podcast. I'm so super fired up on this episode as I bring to you guys, ladies, gents, my amazing friend. We connected on social media a couple of weeks back or actually it's coming up to a couple of months now and uh, we've just been you know liking each other's stuff and this guy has been in property since 2011 and I thought you know let's connect let's share more value let's continue to help more people especially the ethnic minority over the years a lot of people have been getting started in property but they've kept properties a secret they've kept property and wealth strategies a secret so one of the major things we do here at Property Wealth Education one of the things we do on the podcast is to continue to enlighten people on what is achievable and to show that there are more people who are out there that are basically, you know, living life of their dream by just having passive property portfolios. So without further ado, I want to welcome my man, Jason Patterson. Jason, how's it going? You all right? Yeah, good thanks. Morning, Daniel. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. So for those of you who don't know Jason, so Jason is a property strategist. He's already using the buy, refurbish, refinance, rent strategy to build his portfolio. He's also using buy extend the lease, refurb and refinance, buy to let, short-term leases, name it all, he's done it. So Jason, man, tell us about how you got started in property, my man. Yeah, so basically, um, I started in 2001, but basically I used to work in Sainsbury's. So I started in Sainsbury's at 16, was there for 11 years in total. During my period there, I managed to buy four leasehold properties. I couldn't buy houses at the time because my wages wasn't too great. So I thought, let me just start off by buying leasehold properties. Just started from there. So on average, per property, you might make about five, six hundred pounds of profit per month after you pay the service charge and the government and so forth. At the time, my aim was to replace my full-time wages with passive income. So I was there just sitting in the office one day, just thinking, oh, this working business is, 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 is hard work. I've got to work for the next 40 to 45 years before I get to retire. I said, that's a long way away. I want to start enjoying it now if I can, or as soon as possible. So I thought, the ways that you can make money legally is either through property, stocks and shares, or start a business, because crypto wasn't around back then. So I said to myself, property has to be the way. Yeah, so I got talking to one of my colleagues. He just said, yeah, he's got a property in Tottenham that he rents out. Um, he bought it for 52000 um, and he rents it to the local council under a guarantee rent scheme. So I said, oh, that's a good idea. So he, he kind of more or less gave me that idea in the first place to get started. And then from then, saved my first deposit um, while I was living at home with mum. Then I bought it, rented it out, gave it to the council under a guarantee rent scheme. And then within about maybe a year and a half or so, I just been watching the BBC news. And then all I saw was on the headlines, house prices have risen by 13% or 14% in the last 18 months. So I was like, oh, so that, that, must, that must have gone up. So I spoke to my mortgage advisor. He just said to me, yeah, like your flat's no longer worth 70,000. It's gone up to 130,000. I was like, oh, that's good. So he said to me, look, if you want to, you can take out some money out of that and buy more. So before I didn't know about remortgages and taking money out of equity. I just bought it for as a rental. So he, he schooled me, showed me what to do. I managed to take out some money plus my savings. And then I managed to buy another three properties with that kind of income. So just for argument's sake, just for this example, I was making 500 off each. So I managed to get four in total, like by just after my mid-20s. And then that's more or less like £2,000 a month. So 
after that, I thought, oh, I've matched my full-time wages because I moved over into a teaching profession as well. So I thought, all right, still young. I matched my full-time wages. If I went to, I could stop working. But I said, you know what? I'm still young. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep on going. You don't see Richard Branson or Oprah Winfrey or J.K. Rowling stop working. You keep going. to the island and relax. You mm. keep going. So I kept on going and I managed to double my wages when I tripled my wages, when I quadrupled my wages. And I thought, you know what? It's time for me to leave employment. So I left employment and then now I just do mainly full-time property and also do a bit of private tuition just to keep myself busy. Otherwise, I don't get bored. But yeah, wow. Wow. yeah so my main aim was to just replace my full-time wages. That was my main aim. Yeah. A lot of things, there's a lot of unstable things happening. Especially now during COVID, you've got furlough, get made redundant etc etc also back then as well I think this was maybe like 2 2003 something like that at the time because I started a teaching job after after the Sainsbury's one of our colleagues was well, they said to us that our, our department was overstaffed and they had to get rid of a member of staff yeah I said wait a minute I'm still living at home so, so I was alright so if I get made redundant it's fine I still live at home but the other people that are my colleagues one of them just had a baby just bought a house just bought a new car I was thinking, wait a minute, if he doesn't get a job within the next three, four months and he gets maybe done it now, then he's in trouble, he's in big trouble. So you need some form of income on the side as a backup, just in case the institutions change strategy, change direction, and then they get rid of him. So that's where property comes in. I mean, it worked out well since then. So that's the, like a recap of my journey so far. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Such a great way to kind of get to know, you know, how you basically started your property journey. Now, many, many years ago, you would agree with me, 2011, there wasn't a lot of information out there. So right now you can literally go onto Facebook, go on Instagram. And before you know it, you're going to find someone who's doing so well in property. You start following them. And before you know it, you can also maybe attend their free trainings, pay them something to mentor you or to train you and you can get started. Way back in 2011, there wasn't anything as such. I always wanted to get started in property many years back. The only thing I could actually watch was Homes Under the Armour at that time. But Homes Under the Armour just teaches, it just glamorizes everything that happens but you're left in a limbo where you don't actually know what's your beginning point, what's level of due diligence you need to do to acquire your first property. So coming from that era, 28, 2008, 2011, and now 2022, whereby there's so much people who are doing successful in property, who could train and mentor you and share like for like information to help you go from zero to success. And also it's good to know how you said your main aim was I needed to buy property. I needed to quit my nine to five job and but you didn't obviously know how you can actually accelerate that and a broker actually said wow after you saw that news you can actually remortgage this property again remortgaging property many years ago 2011 you had to be able to show a great income like you have to show that your income is four times to five times will buy you an asset if not regardless you, you might be able to get a little bit of money but it's not going to be a lot because it's also still based on what's coming in month in month out so it's good to see how you kind of navigated through and very quickly you replaced 
your income. Such a fantastic story, man. Well done on you, my brother. Well done. Listen, like, so you done that now. You got your four properties and you didn't quit your job. You now transitioned from Sainsbury's to work in education. You said you was teaching. So now having four properties at that time, that was generating 2,000 pounds, for example, and moving into teaching. So why didn't you just go a little bit all in very quickly? So now you got four properties generating 2,000 pounds. How could you get eight? How could you get 12? What stopped you? Oh, no, I did, I did, I did. Basically, so I got the first four, and then after that, I started to, what was one called buy to let? Oh, buy to let. Yeah, normal buy to let. I didn't do many repos, but after that, I got more confident, more knowledgeable, built up my power team, um, electricians, plumbers, builders, carpenters, locksmiths, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I started to go into more of the BR up. So obviously, I buy the flats, refurb them, I mean, rent them out. I mean, took out some equity. I mean, you go again, plus you're obviously a saving and a rental income and yeah. employed income. I started to diversify within the leasehold sector. So I've done some of them and also done some reconfiguring as well. So I'd buy some above flats, above shops, sorry. I mean, those, for example, were one beds. I mean, I convert them into two beds or, or three beds. So I reconfigured the space. And then I started to do get even more adventurous. Because I bought some flats from, from before, from 2001, 2002. Um, the leases were starting to, some of them were starting to expire. By that time, I think I made it about, I don't know, 11 or 12. And then I started to remortgage some of them. And I was changing mortgage lenders. I mean, at the time, I think four of them, I was moving over from Birmingham Midshires over to the mortgage works, TMW. I mean, the surveyor came out of me on those four properties. Three of them had good leases. I mean, one of them didn't. So after we spoke outside and he said, look, this lease is, I think it was 73 years left on it. He said to me, look, you can't take out all the money that you wanted to take out. But if you extend the lease on this property, then what we can do, well, as soon as you extend it, we can give you the rest of the 20,000 um, 20, out of it. So what I did, I wrote to the freeholder and I said to him, look, can you give me a quote for a lease extension for 99 years or to 99 years, one to five years? 90 years on top of what it is now with peppercorn ground rent and also put in a little cheeky would you be willing to sell me the freehold because this one was a house conversion at the first floor and, and the ground floor flats yeah and then he wrote back and said to me yeah these are the quotes or the premiums if you want to extend it for to 99 years and one two five years and i'm also willing to sell you the freehold so i said yeah result so i spoke to the owner upstairs and he said yeah i don't mind we can buy it so he bought the freehold so now, when you buy the freehold to that um, block, then we extend our, our own leases for the nil, like for no cost. So that was a result. I mean, I went back to TMW, gave them the documents, and they said, yeah, they will lease you over 20 grand. So I thought, oh, this is another way of making money within the leasehold sector. You can buy a property, extend the lease, and then after a period of time, you refinance it and take the money out. So it's the same as a BRR strategy, but it's a paper form of the BRR strategy. So for example, I done one last year, doing like that one. I bought a flat for 160,000 and the lease was 64 years on it. The condition wasn't too bad, I just needed a little pit, little paint, change the carpets. So I bought it for 160. I extended the lease for 15,600, I think it was, plus legals. So you just say all in, it was about 180,000, 18,000 all in. So I bought it for 160, extended the lease for 18,000. That comes up to roughly about 178,000. 
the end value of that one bedroom flat is 220,000. So I've got an uppiss of roughly between 45 and 50,000 just by extending the lease without doing any cosmetic work or anything. So I said, oh, so that's what I've been doing a lot more of now. So that's why I call it the B-E-R-R. So you buy it, you extend the lease, yeah. You can also refurb it, refinance. And put the money out. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been doing lately. Oh, wow. So, um, I've been doing leasehold properties for, for a while now, 21 years. So you kind of evolved. So I started off with normal buy to lets, move on to BRR. And after that, I've done some reconfiguring, one best to two bed or two best to three beds. I mean, now I've been doing a lot of extended leases. And I'm also, luckily, sometimes I find somewhere I can do all three of them. I call them one the triple threat, yeah, where you can extend the lease, you can refurb it, and you can also reconfigure it from one bed to a two bed or two bed to a three bed. So I call them ones the triple threat. I mean, them ones, the uplift is more than a good 40 to 50 grand, it might be 60 to 70 grand. Yeah. You find a triple threat. So that's yeah. what I've been doing more of lately. So just uh, just evolved within the leasehold sector. It's absolutely a good way to go, isn't it? They say you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And usually what you don't know is where you're losing money every single day. And and trust me, it's like similar to your journey. My journey started with rent to rent. So where I rent property from landlords, offer them a guaranteed or secured rent. And with that permission, I rent it as a service accommodation or I rent it as an HMO house of multiple occupation. And in 2019, I said, no, I had enough of that. Right now I want to acquire my own properties. And I literally first went into biofabric finance by converting the house that I lived in with my wife and kids for 13 years into an HMO. And then the actual value of that property at that time was 430 value on it, 430. The outstanding mortgage was less than 200 and something thousand. Eventually put a bridge on it and raised some creative finance, done the refurbishment, spent about 480 in total and property gets revalued at 700,000 pounds. And I walk away with a lot of money that within a very short space of time, I went into buying about six more properties. In the last 18 months, I've just been acquiring assets. So it just goes to show what is achievable when you know what you know. So yeah, when you know what you know, is very, very possible. So you got started with bite to let, then now you went with the B-E-R-R-R. So which is quite interesting because I've heard a lot. I haven't done any lease extension at all. I've heard a lot about lease extensions a lot. So I think what I'm just going to do for the sake of the communication on this, I think I'm just going to focus on that subject. So first of all, we said buy, extend a lease, refurbish it, refinance it, and then rent it or rent it and then refinance it, whichever the case might be. So how do you get to get property that you can buy that the leases are short? where you can add value to it. So we're going to go with buy, then go to the extend. We're going to go to the refurb and then gradually get to the last hour. And then we kind of talk about you a little bit, if that makes sense. So let's focus on the buy. Yeah, so basically I buy mainly in North London, North South. I've got good contact with local agents. So some of them, like I said, I've been started in 2001. So I've been buying from a particular group of agents for over 20 years. So the management may change or the staff members may change but the management stays the same. So they know me from before. So whenever they get any properties available, they'll phone me up. So for example, if there's one coming on next week, they'll message me or send me a WhatsApp message or, or an email. So yeah, Jay, we've got one coming in, an instruction coming on next next Wednesday. We can get you in there today or tomorrow before it hits right move or Zoopla or on the market.com. Like, and we're going to come and see it. So if I've got the cash there and I'm ready to buy, I'll just say, yeah, I'll come this afternoon or I'll come tomorrow morning. I'll go and view it. And then if I want it, 
I'll get first reviews on it to say yes or no. So that's the way that I normally work at the moment. So basically, a lot of agents have lists of investors. In order to get onto that list, you have to be consistent and, and reliable. If we look at you guys first, and then after that, if no one, none of you want it, then we'll offer it to obviously right move and Zupra and blah, blah. So we get first dibs, property that come into the market. So that's how mainly that, the way that I source them normally. Sometimes yeah. I look on right move as well and, and Zupra. Yeah. With agents, I'm not normally with. You just focus on properties that the leases are low. That's what you're looking yeah, for. Correct, yeah. With my ones, I've been doing a lot of them, a lot of the ones which are between 60 and 80 years have been left on the lease. Those are the ones that I normally look for. And the lenders that I normally use are we've got um, Keystone Mortgages, um, we've got the Mortgage Lender, Kensington, Foundation Home Loans, Land Bay. Capital Home Loans and Bank of India. Those are the ones that I normally use-ish at the moment, but there are other ones. Yeah, because not a lot of lenders will give you funding to buy a lease property where the years, usually below 90 is quite difficult to get any standard. Between 80 to 90, it's very difficult to get lending on it. So do you normally go in with a mortgage? What do you go in with? Mortgage, bridging finance, what do you normally go in with? Yeah, mortgage. So... One of the lenders that I said mentioned there, they'll give you a normal price to let mortgage. Like the one I bought last year, for example, it was 64 years left on the lease. So I went with, um, I think it was Foundation Home Loans, and they gave me a 13-year mortgage, and the rate was 2.59%. Yeah, so 2.59%, 75% loan to value, went for a two-year fixed. So they can give you a normal mortgage, normal rate, and then during that period of time, you can extend the lease, or I'll tell you that in a minute, actually. I'll tell you how, how I do it in a minute. But yeah, it's a normal bicyclet mortgage. I don't need a bridge at the moment. Although I do have some bridging lenders available that will pay for purchase, most of the purchase and the lease extension. And the rates, the rates aren't too bad. And they can also put, that's with a 30% deposit, actually. So they'll pay for the lease extension, most of the purchase, as long as you put down the 30% deposit. And then they'll lend you that on a bridge. 30%? Yeah, 30%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But normally, with my ones, I just do a normal buy to let mortgage. Okay. Yeah. So your strategy is go on right move, go on Zoopla, make connection with Latin's agents across. Obviously, you have to be very serious, right? And focus, and you focused on looking for property deals that ideally the leases are literally below 80 years where you're looking to add more values to 100, getting like 100 years extra on top of it, bringing you to about 180, 170, even maybe 200 years of lease extension on them. Now, once you basically found these properties that have leases on them, do you then go for property that are absolutely run down? Because you can't find property that the leases are literally maybe 40 years left, 50 years left. At the same time, they need a lot of refurbishment. Do you also look into that or you just first look into the lease first? Obviously, we're going to talk about the extension part and then the refurbished side of it. So do you just focus on, first of all, what attracts you into the deal is the lease? Or is it the lease and the refurbishment? Uh, mainly the lease. The lease, the lease first. first. Yeah, yeah. So the ones that get offered to me, for example, if they follow me up or message me and say, yeah, Jay, we've got one available for you. It's got a 62-year lease or, or 69-year lease, whatever it may be. Then I look into second, can I refurb it? And can I reconfigure it from a one-bed to a two-bed or two-bed to a three-bed? Mm. But my main focus is to buy with a short lease because I know that I can make a minimum of 20 to 25% whatever happens if it's a refurb one or not a refurb one or 
reconfigure or not reconfigure so up to the spans or make play, play, play the club minimum straight away so the other thing are bonuses so the, like I said there were uh, there were some where they've sent it to me I, I can do all three of them refurb it reconfigure it and it's them leaves them ones you make a lot more money off but it's only as and when they offer them to me that I can say yes or no alright great wow man Listen, Jason is on fire here, guys. Listen, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) This is what knowledge can give to you, isn't it? And you've gone through 20 good years, 20 good years of obviously understanding how this works. And obviously, that's what gives you the confidence to say what you're saying now. So now let's talk about the extension part. So when you find the right property now, the lease is like 40 to 50, 60 years, you buy it. And then obviously, it's got some refurbishment, what you're looking to do. So let's talk about the extension of the lease. What is that process and how hard and what is the time frame? So what is the process? How hard is it? And what is the process of doing it? Yeah, so basically, there's all different ways of doing it. So when you're purchasing it, there's two ways that you can extend the lease. There's a voluntary lease extension, and then there's something called a section 42. Section 42 is where you serve the freeholder, or you technically the freeholder is obliged to extend the lease by a minimum or by 90 years, plus give you peppercorn ground rent. What that means is they add 90 years on top of what the lease is at the moment, and the ground rent you might pay at the moment might be £100 or £150 or £200 a year. That will turn to zero. Right, so that's the section 42 where you force a freeholder to extend lease by 90 years with peppercorn ground rent, or you can do a voluntary method, like, is, like what I do a lot of, where you write to the freeholder and you ask for their permission to extend the lease. Now, when you first purchase the property under law, you're meant to own the property for two years before you're allowed to extend the lease, but there's ways around it during the purchase of that flat, for example, you can ask the vendor to serve a section 42 notice on your behalf. And then once you complete, you can assign it over to yourself for you to finish off. Or option number two, you ask the vendor to assign a section 42 notice on your behalf, Yeah, but you complete exchange and extend the lease all on the same day. Yeah, So as soon as you complete, you've got a brand new lease straight away. Right? The other method is, you get your solicitor, which is during the purchase, you ask your solicitor to write to the freeholder, which I have to do anyway, and ask them if you're allowed permission to extend the lease after you complete, even though you haven't owned it for two years. And a lot of the time, nine out of 10 times, the freeholder will say yes, could be getting a nice fat premium from you. So a lot of them don't want to delay for two years. They want that premium as soon as possible. So those are the main three ways of doing it. I've done one recently. Let me give you the one that I've done recently. I purchased it. My solicitor asked the freeholder if it's allowed or if it's okay for me to extend the lease without two years of ownership. They said yes. So as soon as I completed, I wrote to the freeholder and asked them for a lease extension. So to 99 years, to 125 years, or 90 years, plus at the corn groundment. And then they wrote back to me with some figures. I think they came back to me with, um, I think it was like, I think it was maybe, I think it was 18,000 or something. But I knew from experience it was a bit too high. So, I negotiated with them personally. So I done a voluntary lease session basically. So I negotiated by email, back and forth, back and forth. And then within about a month, we agreed a premium of again around 15,000, which I think it was. And that was to extend the lease to one, two, five years with peppercorn ground rent. So that took about that, that process started on the 18th of July of this year, sorry, last year, should I say. Yeah. And then by mid-August, I think it was like the 21st of August, I think, we agreed a premium. So that's one month. 
then they wrote to me and then they said to me, thanks for your correspondence, blah, 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 blah. We have agreed a lease extension premium. We will now instruct your solicitors and I suggest you do the same. So my solicitor wrote to them, got the documentation together, and then we completed on, I think it was the beginning of November. That took about two months, which complete. So I started in July, and it was like August, September, October, November. So about roughly about four months in total for me to start the bullet to lease extension, agree a premium, get all the solicitors work, sign and document some blah, blah. And then in November, that's when we completed, and the ex- lease was extended. So that process, once they write you a letter, once you agree a fee with a leaseholder, yeah. you have three months to complete. And if you're not complete within those three months, that premium that you agree becomes invalid. And then you've got to start the process again. Mm. Make sure you get a solicitor that's efficient, knows what they're doing, because they can mess you up going forward. And then you have to start the whole process again, because it can be costly. So going forward as well, you have to pay for their solicitor's fees, plus VAT, your solicitor's fees, you have to pay for, and the surveyor that they set out as well. So on average, it might be, for their fees, it might be 1,100 plus VAT. My one cost roughly about 800 pounds. The solicitor's fee for them was a thousand pounds, right? So all in, I think it was just a bit, a bit under 20,000 that I paid in total for all of the solicitor's fees, the surveyor, and the lease extension. I said, this one, I think I bought this one for 155, one bedroom yeah. flat. Yeah. Didn't need any work doing to it. So in total, we got 175 in total. 155 plus 20 grand, 175. Now, prices in my area have gone up. Flats are no longer worth roughly about 220. They're worth about 230, 235. But I put them up about 230. So, on this particular one, it's 55 grand uplift from 175 up to 230. So, it's like 55 grand uplift just from doing some signing of documents. Yeah, about doing any refurb, no reconfiguring, just finding a document and the tenants in there now and the guarantee rents. So that's 55 grand for a little bit of work. So, so that's nice. That's just, just an example of one of the ones that I did. Wow, wow, wow. I really love how you broke it down. It shows that you got the practical knowledge and it shows they got the theoretical knowledge as well. Because I'm a big fan of both knowledge. I keep this very short and simple. It's practical, it's theory. We bring them both together and we deliver the product. So we've talked about the extension of the lease now. So now let's talk about the refurbishment. So what about the ones that you bought, where you bought it, once the estate agents gave you the, the property that was below the lease requirements, and then you extended the lease, and then you then had to refurbish it before actually renting it out. How does that cost you? What does it cost you to do an average refurbishment on a lease that you extended on the property? Yeah, so on average, depending on the state of it, like for example, one I bought a couple of years ago was above a barber shop, like Hollywood Barbers, but I needed a bit of work. It was not in good condition. Yeah, everything was bad. I needed a new kitchen, a new bathroom, new windows. Had like a, in the front room, there was like a kind of like patio doors onto the small balconies. Like everything yeah. needed to do it basically. But what I noticed with that one as well, I could do, I can reconfigure it. So what I've done, and the front room was massive, a lot of space, and a lot of these new build flats that they're building now, they're putting a kitchen into the front room and then just partition it with like a sofa or something. <laughs> so what I've done, I moved the kitchen into the front room and I turned the old kitchen into a bedroom. And then the bathroom needed a refurb as well. So in total, that one cost, I think, was about 14 and a half grand, 15 grand. To 15 reconfigure grand? It. Yeah, 15 grand, yeah, to reconfigure it. 
want a new bathroom. Bathroom cost maybe about, I think it was about three grandish. They changed everything, just guide everything, put a nice shower glass in there, new tub, um, new wash basin, new toilet. That was all done. I put liner on the floor in. Then the kitchen, because I need the kitchen done anyway. Um, it's capped off the gas and everything. Took out all of the, obviously, the kitchen unit, everything else, and then moved it into the front. And then boxed the gas and the electric rounds, the flat, the floor of the flat, around to the front room area. That one was all right. But yeah, so with the bedroom, I think for the minimum requirement for adults, um, it has to be 6.51 for an adult if they're going to live in that bedroom or sleep in that bedroom. And for the kids, I think it's, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think it's about 4.75 or something like that for a kid's yeah. bedroom. Okay. Legal, yeah. So I made sure that was the right first before I thought about changing it because it, it was below the 4.75. There's no point in doing it. Is that because the room, you're renting into a family? Because in HMOs, for example, the minimum requirement, depending on the borough, you're looking at about 7.5 square meters. Some boroughs like Bromley, it has to be 10 at least, 10.3, 10.5 square meters for, for an adult to live in that room. So yeah, it's a bit different. So in terms of the, the room sizes, so would that be that because you're renting to a single family, correct? You rent to a single family or you're renting it on to a council on the guaranteed rent scheme or something. So you don't really need to do massive sort of restructuring in terms of meeting certain regulations. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So they came around and had a look anyway. Like I said, they measured up just to make sure that yeah. was okay for a child, which was fine. Yeah. Just building control just signed off. But like you said, uh, HMOs, they got more strict rules. But this one's to a single family. This wasn't so bad. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to make sure you've got the main speed smoke alarm, done the gas safety check. Yeah. EPC. Oh yeah, yeah. When I bought the EPC was an E. But when with, with all of the checks now, the EPC is actually gone up to a C, which is good. Because the regulations might change in 2025 anyway for all EPC ratings to be a C. Yeah. So yeah. At least that's met that target way before it's it's due, so it's fine. Yeah, so I put the new windows in, you know, new floor in, in the put carpet in the front room. And all of that for 15 grand. Yeah. All right. So let's quickly talk about numbers now, right? So you mentioned, so you needed a 30% deposit to acquire the asset. So let's just say for the sake of numbers, as you're buying a property for, let's just use random numbers. So let's say we're buying the house for 200,000 pounds. 30% is already 60 grand. All right. So 30% is already 60 grand. Now, in terms of extending the lease now, we mentioned about 18 to 19K. For the sake of numbers and wrapping up, so let's say 20K again. So that's already 80,000 pounds that you need. Now, in terms of refurbishments, you, we spent about 15K. Let's say contingency, whatever the case might be, that's about another 20 grand. So that's 100,000 pounds for you to go all in into the buy, the extend, and then the refurb. Okay. So now, Let's just say on this particular case study, we bought a house for 200,000 pounds and it's cost us, it's basically cost us 100,000 pounds to buy the house. So if you if you remove your deposit, if you subtract your deposit from the cost of the purchase of the property, so which means the mortgage on that property is basically 140,000 pounds, yeah. right? So because there's already an equity of four or 60 grand deposit in the property. Now you have another extra, you've added value already all right, by spending extra 40,000 pounds. So there's already a 40,000 pounds from the 200,000 pound purchase, bringing you to about 240 grand. Yeah. Now, when it goes to the open market to get revalued, obviously it's going to value more than 240. Yeah, yeah. That'll probably be about 280, 290 because of two bed now. Obviously, you re yeah. So your uplift value automatically would be about 40 to 20K. Yeah, minimum, yeah. Minimum. 
All right, so we bought it, we extended the lease, we've refurbished it. Now, do we then refinance first or do we then rent before we refinance it? Yeah, rent it first and then refinance after. So let's talk about the rental figure now. So for a two-bed flat, or example, that you bought for £200,000 and you've extended the lease, you've added all these values, what sort of rent are you looking at if it's a two-bed? Or if it's a one-bedroom flat that you bought and then you added, you reconfigured and it became a two-bed flat. So what sort of rental income? Yeah, for one bed, for example, it would have been um, £1,100 as a... Well, this, this one was quite big, actually. It's probably 1150 that would have been a one bed, bed, one bed flat, yeah. One thousand what? One thousand one hundred and fifty. One thousand one hundred and fifty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And this is and this is in North London. Yeah, no, yeah, correct, yeah. Okay. I mean, if it's a two bed flat, you're looking at a minimum of between. It's a good size, probably one thousand three hundred. One thousand three hundred. Yeah. Okay. I know, and you're not responsible for the gas. You're not responsible for the council tax. You're not responsible for nothing. So you just basically putting the tenant in the property, and the tenant pays you. You pay your mortgage, and whatever is left is yours. And the tenant deals with all the bills inclusive. So normally that bills will be about sometimes depend. You're looking about between four hundred pounds to three fifty on the bills alone. So that'll be water, gas, electric, council tax, and maybe even service charge. Correct. Yeah, yeah, service charge I pay for. Oh, so you pay service charge? Yeah, yeah, service charge I, I pay for at the ground room. So this one, for example, like the mortgage, how much is the mortgage for that one? That, that one must have been about, I think it's like £328 a month. Because remember, it was bought as a one bed. Yeah. The bought as a one bed. Now, the service charge for that one, it's about £110 a month for the service charge. It will be about, just say £440. So the service charge and, and the mortgage. So all together, so service charge on the mortgage, you're looking at just under 450. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you rent it for, if it was just kept as a one bed, then it would have been about 1,150, because it's quite big. Yeah. So 1,150. So you're looking at about maybe 700 pounds-ish uplift yeah. or profit, should I say, per month after you pay all, all, all of my bills. Yeah. Turn into a two bed now. All right, so that's 450 minus the 1,300. So that's 850 that you're making per month. Wow. Turn into a two bed after you do your refurb change the windows, move the kitchen into the into the front room, yeah. So I've lifted it a little bit, so it's, it's worth it. It works, absolutely. That's another great strategy. It's a fantastic strategy here. You're making £800 passive and you don't have to deal with nothing, basically. If you manage it yourself, then yes, you have to deal with a lot. But if it's passive where a lettings agent is dealing with it, or if your portfolio is so large, you can actually employ maybe one property manager because ideally one property manager should be able to take care of at least 20 properties, right? So imagine you have one property manager and you pay him about 1,500 pounds. So basically in 20 properties, you have two properties looking after the property manager, then it's passive. And that property manager deals with the problem day in, day out and do all the, you know, all the maintenance issues and make sure the contractors are there. However, if a lettings agent is managing it for you, you're looking at about 10 to 12% in terms of management. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, because a lot of mine I do want to guarantee rent because I like my free time. <laughs> Even though like, I can get those maximum rents, what I do, I always go slightly below. I give it to like an agent, a guarantee rent agent. So I take like £100 or £125 less than the market rate just because yeah. I want them to look after it and then I've got my free time to go to the gym like five times a week or or just chill or, or wake up late, that, that, that kind of thing. But yeah, options are there. So you can either get a property manager in, manage it yourself, or do I go guarantee rent scheme? So uh, options are there. But me, cut it back a little bit. I like to give it to the guarantee rent scheme. So I get a bit less per month. It's all managed. That is no need to worry about. There was sometimes you wake up in the morning and your phone just clear. 
Yeah. Where, where, where before it might have been tennis bones you are, the heating is not working, or yeah. the radiator's leaking or something. You know what I mean, that, that, that no headache, just, just relax. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely because we manage HMOs. I got a lot of HMOs in our portfolio, and I I remember when I used to manage myself. So now that my property portfolio is completely passive because I have a management company, and within my management company, I've got three staffs dealing with everything. So I don't deal with nothing. Accounts, management, operations. I don't touch nothing. So before lockdown, it was basically because I built all this from the get. I literally built everything from ground up. Because I used to be an Uber driver. I was an Uber. Driver in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And 2018 was when I started literally heavy on the property store journey. So when I started, man, like 12 midnight, two tenants are having a problem. Someone ate their soup. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, someone, someone took their trainer. Yeah. You know, I can imagine that. So when I started growing, the more I grew and grew and grew, I said, you know what? I need to get a, I need to get in someone. And then gradually last year, no, was it last year? 2020, we got in a full-time property manager and he's doing amazingly. We had to learn a lot, but again, just having that passiveness in property is where the true wealth is because now you have the financial freedom, then you have the time freedom to do what you love. Okay. And then you have that innermost peace within yourself yeah you can relax and step back a little bit no stress let's talk about the final hour now so we know that it's passive you're renting the property out so how does the refinancing work so in terms of for the example that we made we spent a hundred thousand pounds how do we then refinance that property in six months time or in four months time or in a year's time to get as much as we've got out yeah so basically there's two options this is why the buyers are everywhere, using like Land Bay or Keystone mortgages or Kensington. Normally, they go for like a two-year fixed. Now, when you apply for a mortgage, depending on how many properties you have, if you're a portfolio landlord or not, you can apply for a mortgage with um, an additional borrowing facility. So make sure if you can, if you've got under four properties, this is, this is fine, or under 10, you might be all right. So go for a mortgage with an additional borrowing facility. I mean, after the first six months, you're allowed to extract the cash and what you've obviously uplifted. So just for argument's sake, with this other one, got it for, I said, what I mentioned earlier, for 175. And then now it's, it's risen to 230,000, like 55 grand up, up there. So within the first six months, phone up additional home loans and say, yeah, look, I've done this piece and that to the property. I'd like to take out some cash. They'll send a survey around survey everything, do, do their report, and then they can release the funds after that. So look for a lender, if you're doing the buy-to-let route like, like I've done, that will give you additional borrowing when you take out your initial two-year fixed. If you have a lender that does not do that, but you're going for the short lease, mortgage, buy-to-let, and the lender does not give you additional borrowing, then you wait after the first year. I mean, as soon as you enter the second year, the ERC charges, which is early payment charges, would be a lot less. It might be two and a half grand, three grand max for ERC charge. Now, if you're making 55 grand, I don't mind spending 3,000 pounds to break the contract of that mortgage lender. Yeah. Then, yeah, so you get 52 grand in your hand, but you have to pay the lender, obviously, three grand for breaking your own to be a fix. And then take out the cash and then just go to another lender after that. Yeah, it's two different ways you can do it. Or some people just buy cash, but I prefer to buy a buy-to-lend mortgage. You just put down 20 pounds deposit, uplift it, and then take your cash afterwards. Or yeah. if you've got quite a few properties, then you might even not want to take the cash straight away. 
You might yeah. wait two years because you might have, if you say you got over 20, like I've got over 20, every year there's always one or two or three that needs refinancing. So you just leave, do what you have to do with release extension, the refer, reconfiguring, leave it in there. I mean, leave it for two years. And then when two years is up, that's when you refinance and change lenders. Because in yeah. the meantime, you've got all these other ones to do year on year on year. But when you first find out, probably method one might be good. And when you build up a nice portfolio, then you can probably leave it for two years and then start refinancing after the two years, which saves yourself maybe three grand. I mean, in that period of time as well, it's gone up in value. Absolutely, you're getting uh, yeah. to wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're in lockdown, I bought, um, I'm completing on lockdown one, completing on three, one for like one nine four, a two bed flat two hundred, that, that that kind of thing. I mean, now in 2022, some of the deals are coming to an end. The two years has gone quick. So I've done, I've extended the lease and just left it in there. And now mm. the more lenders are writing to me saying, oh, your deal's coming to an end, what do you want to do? And looking at, at the house prices, and they've gone up by a good, I don't know, 10, 11, 12%. It's insane what's happening in the property market. There's an article I shared on my Instagram handle, and basically, house price have gone crazy, so crazy, all right? Since 2005. So January this year, they say, okay, December was was great, was also the highest, but January has actually superseded December and November last year. And people are still obviously predicting don't... Pre Listen, property, regardless of what happens in property, I always say this, as long as you know what you're doing, all right, as long as you understand the game. So property is not something that gets you instantly rich tomorrow. It doesn't get you rich a week time, two weeks time. It takes time. So in your journey here, it's been 20 good years to get to where you are, right? But most people want to get into property and achieve what you've achieved in 20 years in basically tomorrow. <laughs> Does that make sense? And that's where the problems are. So regardless of what the news is saying right now, there is a property circle and the property circle is usually 5, 10, 20 years. Done. Understand that circle, invest and relax. Done. Get paid to wait. Easy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a get rich slow cream scheme. Yeah. So that get rich slow. Yeah, get rich <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And it's great. Um, you always say the saying, time in the market is better than time in the market. Yes. So that's absolutely. Great. Yeah, see, definitely. Because the one the first one I bought for 70,000 back in 2001 is now worth 240,000. So it's, oh, that's over 300%. So it's tripled in, the, in less, well, 20, 20 odd years. Yeah. And you're alive, you're healthy, you're stronger, you know, you're chilling yeah. right now. Exactly. Wow. wow. So worth it. Always say just buy and hold, rent it out, take a little refinances here and there. It's nice, it's nice. It's, it's a no brainer. It's yeah. a no brainer. Wow. Man, Jason, thank you so much for taking your time to come on this wealth and business podcast. So just before we go, Jason, right? So what would your three major advice be right now? If anyone is looking to getting started in property, is this still the right time? So number one would be, is this the right time to get started? Why should you build a legacy and create an empire through property? And finally, why should you learn to even start property? What would your three tips be around those topics? I definitely tell people to start now because you might think our oh, prices are rising, it's, it's, at, it's at the peak or it's approaching its peak. But like, like I just said, time in the market is better than time in the market. So even though you might think, oh, I'm paying slightly over for, for a property now, in five years' time or next year or 10 years' time, I look back and think, you know what, I'm happy that I bought that property because that, when you look back, it seems like a bargain. 
But yeah. when you're buying now, it will seem like a bargain. But I said time in the market is better than time in time in the market. So that's what I would say. I mean, if you're first starting out, stick to one strategy. So there's so many different ones like rent to rent, rent to service, like, accommodation, HMO, self-organization, development, flips. You get confused, but like, oh, just stick to one, stick to one. Like you did in the beginning, you start to rent to rent, build up your cash flow, build up your income. And then after that, you moved on to purchasing your own properties, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're first starting out, just stick to one, master one. And then after that, you could think about maybe doing other areas and then, I mean, just obviously purchasing your own, own properties. So the first one you've already answered, so is the time in the market and the time in the market, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's time in the market is better than time in the market. Exactly. Then the second yeah. one is, you said, listen, don't chase too many rabbits. Basically, chase one. What does that mean? Get started in property. Master one strategy first before gone blazing. All right? So that's what you've said there, number two. So the final one is what I'm waiting for now. Compound interest. Yeah? Com- Compounding. Like Warren Buffett said, it's eighth wonder of the world. Yeah? So, you said it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With stocks and shares or crypto or property. Property, I like. I've got a mixture of everything, but property is the main one. Like I mentioned before, Bought it for 70,000, it's now 240,000 20 years later. It just compounds naturally. Market forces, inflation, it is there. So, property is definitely the one that you can earn passive income from it. I mean, after a while, you can get property managers in where you manage it, you don't have to manage it yourself. Passive income coming in, so you can go on holiday when you want, um, buy what cars you want. Basically, it gives you the freedom of time. There's no need to rely on employers going forward worrying about redundancies or furlough or losing your job or restructuring in your company. All them fears are gone because you have your passive income stream right there. So it's good to have some sort of backup. And that's what property gives you, that security, that backup. Just, I mean, obviously something to hand over to your children or your legacy so they can have something to to grow. Because we see see all the time, like with the royal family, the queen, you were the princes, and now they've got their grandchildren down there. They pass it down through generations. So every generation, or at least every other generation, there's always one person that propels your family forward. So maybe me and you, for example, are that are those people. So our children and our children's children will benefit from us and doing what we're doing now. They can propel and move forward. So it's a legacy. Great. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the Wealth and Business Podcast. Guys, if you found this episode really, really useful, make sure to go and follow Jason on social media. His social media handles will be somewhere around the show notes of this podcast. And as well as don't forget to follow the Wealth and Business Podcast as well on Daniel Moses DM on Instagram. And just to let you know, ladies and gents, that we are gradually getting our final arrangements in place for our Wealth and Business summit coming up in november 2022 so go and find out information about that as well and we're also looking to be launching our property wealth awards and i'm sure people like jason is going to be definitely nominated you've done so so well so thank you so much jason for coming and we're just really truly humbled to share this mutual connection and for you being on our podcast so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon take care everyone and god bless